You know, I hate to cut. I hate. You know what? Listen, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love meandering. I love conversation. You know, and I love conversation with you. I like to mosey. I've been known to mosey. You know. Yeah. But I figure, you know, it's about time that you know we're already just starting this podcast a little late, and we've been promising the people deliverance on this topic so we might as well just cut to the chase if you're down to cut to the if you don't feel like that's you know maybe i'm overstepping my bounds by doing this and you'd like to talk about something else but if so we could probably just jump right into the topic at hand which is the lord's prayer yeah breaking that down what is the purpose of that uh passage what is the takeaway that we should have and all that good stuff so so you want me to? You, so what I can do is I, I, you know, you have your the notes in front of you that I gave you. Um, okay, hold on. So the first section of notes is basic outline to chapter eleven, in relation to chapter ten, and then the second outline is just the prayer itself, and then the following parables about prayer. So I okay, can. Okay, so we're I talking can, out so, of. Luke 11. Out of Luke, Luke 11, for those yeah. who don't know. But some of the things, like not even like just the, the, the content of the prayer, but also some of the surrounding material, there are some parallels with Matthew, but I'll leave those for everyone to figure out. But if you want me to, what I can do is I can just walk through the first part of the outline, just like chapter 11, the prayer and kingdoms in conflict and all that, and then we can get right in the particulars of the prayer if you want. Yeah, I'm down. I, I've okay. spent some time. I've definitely looked over Luke's uh, ver, uh, Luke's um, version of Christ's teaching over this. Yeah. Um, and I, I've probably spent more time with Matthew just because I've spent more time in Matthew or on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, the only reason that I... The only reason maybe I feel like the prayer itself, like the teachings around the prayer, I see why you're going to Luke, but then the prayer itself, it's almost like half the stuff isn't in it, or at least a part of the stuff isn't in it that isn't, and that is covered in Matthew. Yeah. Well, so I maybe have a few it's, different it's, thoughts it's, on. Yeah. And it's the same, like when you look at the Sermon on the Mount overall, Luke's version, you know, when he does blessed, right? And so on. It, it, uh, those have been, you know, adjusted for his purpose in writing his gospel narrative. So who he's writing to? Yeah. So you look at Matthew's; it's a little bit fuller, and then at Luke's, it's a little more streamlined. Okay. So, but if people keep in mind that the purpose for it, so we can go to Matthew's if you want to look at details and that. But we can bounce back and forth between the two, really. Yeah, sounds good. Well, go ahead and, and uh, okay. start us off. Take take it away. So, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, if you start off in chapter 10, it's good because... Hang on, let me get there first. It sets off the, the context in chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 70... And he tells him in verse 9, he tells him to go and, and to proclaim that the kingdom of God is is upon you. And then he says it again in verse 11 of chapter 10, 
to tell them, you know, yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has, has come upon you or has come as the New English translation renders it. So that's the context of the, the sent out to do ministry and that. Then you come into chapter 11 of Luke's gospel and you have kingdoms in conflict. You have those who belong to the kingdom of God and then those who belong to the kingdom of Satan. And you see this interaction back and forth through Luke chapter 11. So the first part of Luke 11 is the kingdom of God, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And then it defines those who, who are of the kingdom of God. First, they're dependent on God, chapter 11, verse 1. They commune with God in a filial relationship, chapter 11, verse 2. They desire God's will and glory to be revealed, 11.2. And they come to God recognizing his readiness towards goodness, verses 9 through 13. And that's the, the parables that Jesus teaches following the example of prayer. And it's a part of his motivation for coming to prayer is that God is, is ready to do good. And then you have those who come to God's word with a readiness towards obedience, chapter 11, verses 27 to 28. And then he has the, the kingdom of Satan and those who belong to it. They object to Jesus' authority, chapter 11, verses 14 through 22. They opt for neutrality towards Jesus, 11, 23 through 26. And then they emphasize externality instead of inward spirituality, 11, 27 through 54. And this is Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders. So there is this aspect that's paralleled within Matthew, right? Because he's dealing with the, the righteousness of the Pharisees. It was an externalism as opposed to internalism in that. So that's sort of the overall of chapter 11 of Luke's gospel but then we can get in the particulars of the prayer. Okay. But that's just for everybody as, as they're listening, if they want to go through and just sort of get a sense of the flow of the overall will, um, of 11 and what's going on there, and then they can look at I that. Will, I will copy this outline, and I will paste it as the description of the episode. So if you guys want okay. to see that, it should be the description of the episode if I've remembered to do the thing I've just told you I'm going to do, which there's a chance I don't, but there's a good chance I do because you know what? It's important. <laughs> If not, I've talked to it, so you can just go down and write out the outline yourself. Yeah, but. just rewrite it again. Just you don't have to listen to it a few times through to get it all. But yeah. Um, okay, so you want to talk particulars of the prayer? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me situate myself. Then might as well. Um, we started last week talking with the opening line uh, of the prayer. Uh, which just starting with our father, that was the only thing that we really touched on. And then we were cut short because, you know, um, marital relations, um, or just hanging out with your wife is what you needed to do. And, and, you know, I was already monopolizing all of your time. So (laughs) figured I might as well, you know, not cause a great divide between my mother and father. And we could just, you know, wait for the next. So we, we had time to meditate and think on that, on the opening line of our father. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Start go ahead and start us off with this conversation in the opening to the prayer. And well, what there I, is. I, I think that the first thing, like if you're looking at it in relation to either one of the prayers, right, is the aspect of intimacy that you have when you come to God, that you have that access. You say either to, one of the prayers. What do you mean? 
Well, because both of them are, are prefaced the same way, right? Either from Matthew 6 yeah, or from uh, Luke 11. Or from Luke 11. So, you know, both we have this introduction part where we have this intimacy that we can have with, with God, and which is rather unique because when you look at the Old Testament, it's interesting that there are references to God as Father, but very few. But when you come to the New Testament, you see an an overabundance of the statements about the Father and and the Son making the Father known to us, like John's Gospel. It's it's all the way through there. I mean, it's unbelievable how many times there's reference to that, which means that this was something that was to be really unique to the New Testament and and the time of Christ, that this was an aspect of the revelation that was coming from the Son to us. It was specifically that He is the Father. So the fact that we can come to Him not merely just as, you know, Elohim, right, or Teos, God, but we come to Him as, as Pater, as and Father. Why Now, why is this something, and maybe you can't fully speak to, you know, God's reasoning, but why is this something withheld because that's been a thing that's been i've been mulling over in a bunch of in a few different areas i've heard a lot of people throw out some questions and stuff like that of the difference of the way god went about things in the old testament compared to the new testament and so why why withhold that form of addressing god in the old testament and only have that be something that is now normalized by Christ in the new in this new revelation because it was something special that the son was going to reveal to us right he, he said to Philip if you've seen me you've seen the father and so that was something unique that the son was going to communicate to those who received him right that they would become children of God it's like that that was not just would they know that, God but they would be adopted into the family yeah of God. and there was going to be because you look at like even when you look at the Old Testament say the temple right you had to come offer up sacrifice you had mediation of priests only they could go in the holy of holies right in the holy place you could not go there as a worshiper and and there was this distance that existed and rightfully so because it's a holy God therefore how do you as a sinner come and approach him but with the coming of the son now we now we meet the father in him we encounter the father in him thus the woman at the well Jesus like it isn't on this mountain or that mountain right there's something new now and that that relationship that we have the with the father is being in the son and through the son and so the fact so that he why? teaches the disciples to pray this way shows that. And other pagan religions, there wasn't this necessarily this sense of that you could approach you, these false deities with this kind of intimacy like this. Most of the time you were trying to placate them because, you know, they were so fearful and and that. But to have this kind of intimacy, and especially like Luke's gospel when it's dealing with the kingdom of God— you're thinking royalty and majesty and all of that, and yet when he teaches the disciples to pray in this context of the kingdom of God is at hand, it's this intimacy mm. of Father. Mm. 
So it helps us to see that there is a dynamic that's happening about this kingdom. Something radically different is happening here. And and what Christ was going to provide for us, right, in relationship to coming to the Father was going to be something that was, you know, so and not not to not to divulge us too off track and and uh, and maybe we, this is something that we could come back to at some other point and and talk about some of these these things. But like, so why now? Why now send Christ and 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 now allow those who know Him to be adopted in this way, opposed to before having it be the go to the temple sacrifices these kinds of things a little bit more of a distance between almost not like the the pagan religions but in that sense of still it's like um you are god i am creature yeah. and i need to do these things in order to draw near to you to where now christ is here and now we have this adoption and now we are able to just communicate with him wherever whenever why now does he decide to do that? Why was that not the way he went about it from day one? Well, several. Not, I guess not day one because day one was creation yeah. and we were supposed to be like that from the beginning. But why not? Well, several reasons is one that God has this uh, a plan and it's all you know according to His will. So in yeah. you know, right Galatians four four. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth the Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So there was this timing by God's design and His eternal plan of when these things were going to take place. But the other side is the the fact that when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, right through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so that was a part of God's even His covenantal promises to Abraham then later to David, and then dealing with the nation of Israel in regards to the land, and then Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, that God's plan included us, but there were aspects to the plan that were going to be carried out uh, according to his design, but everything was pointing towards that, the coming of Christ, right? All the sacrifices at the temple, everything, so that when he then died on the cross, right, and the curtain, right, the veil in the temple was rent in two, torn apart, the mediation now, right, he becomes the great high priest, and now we have access to to God through him, but also to him as father through the son, and so... You know, there was this, you know, radical dynamic of God's design that was going to be played out, but it was all according to his eternal purpose. But And, and there were generations when, the, you know, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that there were times and generations where things were withheld from them and they were made known, right, according to, to God's order of things. And so there were aspects of that he... Made known it was coming, but at the same time, it needed to be fulfilled in his timing. But what better, you know, it's like, so when John chapter 1, when it talks about the fact that the Son then comes and reveals the Father to us, literally he says, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I mean, that was to be the pinnacle of revelation, right, was the Father was going to be revealed in the coming of the Son. Mm. Mm. 
but everything in the Old Testament highlighted and pointed towards this. So everything changed, right? Our worship changed. There's no more, you know, cultists that's necessary. In other words, there there aren't these, you know, sort of things that we need to go through, rituals or what have you that we need to go through in regards to worship and, and whatever else that I see. we now have this, this access to. God who is now father and we are children and then comes the the reality of the Holy Spirit right he cries out from within Abba father and so mm. well what do you I, I was I thought it was very interesting um, when you start with that opening line our father um I, I believe I heard somebody say, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I I believe someone's saying that like, oh, this prayer is referring to corporate prayer because you say our father, but it's clear that that's not what it's, if you look at Matthew, especially he's talking about when he go, talks about praying right before he's talking about personally going into your room, closed off by yourself in private, yeah. talking to God alone. Exactly. Um, and it's very interesting, though, that he doesn't start with my father, but though that it starts with our father. Yeah. And that it's it's almost, it feels like for me, at least from what I've seen, is, is like, because you do eventually in the prayer get to, uh, you know, give us this day our daily bread, like for our needs and also repentance, which are two key parts of prayer. But it starts with almost seeming like, these opening things is to set mentally set you in the right place before you should even start praying about anything else. Yeah. And, but it and it's just, almost, it's, and you think about the reference to our father is Jesus just saying that in regards to say his disciples, his believers, or is he including himself in that statement? Our mm. father. Hmm. Does he not right commune with his yeah, father? Yeah, with the father. Yeah, yeah. So then, what does that say about our our relationship with him in relation to? Well, as I mean, I guess that would mean that yeah. we have more of a brotherly relationship with Christ. Yeah, which well, is because we we become now right joint heirs, fellow heirs, sons. Mm-hmm. He is son by nature, but we are sons and daughters by adoption. I see. But, I see. So it's not not only just as he is he stating like to remember the communalness of who God is that he isn't just your father he's the father of all like you are a part of a like not just that you're you're not praying in a vacuum of just you and God your life yeah. and God guiding it it's you're praying this is the father of all that are in the family you're a part of the bigger greater family but then also on top of it he is including himself in that family yeah. and showing this is your relation to me and then also your relation to the father and also your relation to all other believers that are in the family. Yep. Which is such an interesting opening. I feel like we breeze. I feel like I've breezed over the our father so many times without thinking of the fact of why does he say our there when it's, but it's clearly it, a personal private it, prayer. And it's good. You highlight that too, right? Because it's, it's acknowledging, yes, it's done in private, but 
there's the realization, but we're still a part of something bigger than ourselves. And, and that's kind of the, the, I was talking with someone the other day about this, that there, there, there are two things that can happen in the church. And that is that you can have the individual get lost in the community where the community becomes everything that the individual isn't recognized, like their uniqueness, their giftedness, those kinds of things. But the flip side can happen where you're so focused focused on the in, individual that you don't even acknowledge the community, right? And the community gets lost in the individual. And so in this context, you know, here you're supposed to be doing it private and, you know, on your own, that there should be that aspect of, of our life, but it's still acknowledging the fact that we're a part of something bigger which then begs the question this day and age where people say well i don't really need to go to church and i don't need to have that i can have you know community on the internet you know you really can't you know or or it's just like i just need my bible and god yeah and it's like well clearly clearly it is a bigger picture and that's what i mean it it sets the tone for the rest of prayer in general yeah it starts with selflessness this isn't just about me. This is about us. This is about all of us together. Yeah. And my prayer should reflect that. And like you say, putting it in perspective, because then immediately it, it goes from the intimacy of our Father, but then it goes to who art in heaven. And it's, again, that put in perspective, okay, he is our Father. There is this intimacy, but there is a difference. There is a distance. He is above. We are down here. There has to be that understanding before, again, before we go with requests, before we go with repentance, before we go with whatever, that should affect the way that we speak with him. And it's like it's a capturing all sides of who he is and who we are in relation to him. Yeah. Yep. Now, do you have any other, do you have any other thoughts on, on who art in heaven? Well, it, it's it, it it's interesting because you know he's going to then the next line right. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Like there there is that that aspect of the transcendence of God. Although there is that intimacy of God, but there's something far bigger than just this world and what's happening here. Right? It's a part of something bigger than. But I like it because it it does, I mean, right, it gives us that intimacy, but at the same time, it gives us the awe and the reverence by those statements that are made, right? Hallowed be your name, right? Your kingdom come. Well, and it almost, it almost kind of, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong with this, but like a thought that I had was, um, it almost is like the way that it starts the, the the first line to the second line to the next line is like not, not quite a hierarchy of values but but almost in a way where it's like first and foremost we are to know God and who he is and who he is in relation to us that is what the opening line starts with this is who we are in relation to him and we need to know who he, he is our father but he is in heaven yeah, and you understand this, this, this intimacy with this greater being. So first and foremost, most important for us to understand is who God is, and then 
Second most important would seem to be to live in acknowledgement of who what he is doing, to live in a state of gratefulness, thankfulness, praise. And not just not not only is it just important because God arbitrarily wants us or needs us to praise him. He doesn't really need it's to our own benefit that we live in a state of praising him. That yeah. is the best thing for us and for us mentally and emotionally and spiritually is to be in a state of grateful praise and thanksgiving to him. And and then thirdly, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is then once we are at a place where we know God and we are have our eyes on him, thankfully watching him, now our next step is to align ourselves with his will to be moving in the most like harmonious communion with him that we can be. But you can't get to that. You can't get to being in his will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done until you know him and are properly looking at him in perspective. perspective. Well, exactly. I mean, because how, how often do people, when they come to God in prayer, are they thinking that obedience is a part of their prayer life? Mm. Right? Yeah. Right? Rarely. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, right? I mean, there is this acknowledgement that we need to be, right? That there is this acknowledgement that we need to be doing something. But the interesting thing is that before he moves to that, it's hallowed be your name. In other words, that when you come to God in prayer, the ultimate thing that you're seeking is his glory. Mm. That his name is hallowed. That he is glorified, which, that he is honored, which, and, and thus then, right, all the prayers and so on will 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 come and align with that. Which on the surface, I know some people may be like, okay, well, doesn't this this God of yours seem pretty self-centered and like egotistical that everything, all of your prayers all have to be about to his glory, to his this, but if you understand properly who he is, God being the highest good, the high, the pursuit of God is the pursuit of the highest good. Yeah. Is the, the to glorify God in what we do is to do everything to the highest value. And so, <clears throat> it's not just this thing where it's like, okay, he needs us to constantly be patting him on the back for what he's doing. And he needs us to constantly, well, you could do your thing, but you better be, you know, looking at me the whole time. It's like, well, you are hurting yourself. He's doing this for our own bet. He doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't need us to, he wants us to be able to experience this amazing relation that you can have with him. And the only way to have this proper relation is when everything is being done to his glory, which is being done in pursuit of of him and what he wants, which is the highest good. And so yeah. to do it for any lesser of a value or for any other reason than for his glory is to do it for a lesser is to do it for a lesser value. Well, and so you, it would be you, like you're selling yourself short. You're selling what you're doing short. Yeah. You're doing it, but not to the the fullest, most important way you could do that thing. So, from a very like pragmatic perspective, I mean, Scripture tells us this over and over. What happens when man turns his back on God and focuses on himself? But we know this even in society. What happens when you have 
anarchy or hedonism, right? When everyone is out to do whatever makes them feel good and it doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. Whenever you turn your full attention to self, it becomes destruction for everybody else around you because it doesn't matter about anyone else but you. But when your eyes are focused on God and you are focused then away from yourself, outside of yourself, right? Now all of a sudden you move into the realm of being selfless, right? And you're governed by something or someone outside of yourself. Now all of a sudden, right? That changes a whole lot of things. It even changes the dynamic of our relationship with each other because we're acknowledging that there is someone beyond us. Therefore, there's a standard that that holds all of us accountable, that there's no bias, that, right, it isn't about just our own personal opinions or preferences. But we're constantly reminded what happens when when we turn completely towards ourself and make man as the object of worship and focus. It's always destructive. Always. 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 So all this is is a reminder for us is that keeping our eyes on God is the best and the the ultimate. But it's for our, our ultimate good in our life too, right? Because the, the blessing that comes from that. Well, and that's, it's, it's very interesting. I think people get very, who is it? Uh, Joey he did a sermon after Sunday after Kayla got married. Yeah. And, um, he was talking, I believe this is, I believe it was his sermon. He was talking about this, but he's talking about worship, um, and worshiping God and, and I think a lot of people get caught up on that. Like, why? It's just so weird. Why does he, why does this God need us to work? Like, we need to bow down and, like, sing songs to him and stuff or do whatever. And it's like, no, no, no. This isn't for him. This is for you. You need this. Yeah. You need this. You need to worship. This, this is what you're made for. This is the most fulfilling and worthwhile thing you could do. And you don't understand what you're missing out on if you haven't done it. Yep. And so it's like this is he is the reason he calls us to these things isn't a selfish because he's not a I mean we are called to be selfless why because our God is selfless. He's doing these things for our benefit. These are the things that we've been designed to do. This is to align us with the highest good with the most important things that we could possibly focus our lives on is the worship of him. The acknowledgement of him living in that con- God consciousness, as we've said a few different times, you know, that is the greatest thing that we could attain. So why would we want to sell ourselves short? And why would he want us to sell ourselves short by per- putting our eyes on anything lesser than that? Yeah, I mean, the very fact that we are creatures, right? I mean, that in and of itself tells us that we're dependent beings and we always will be we're dependent on food we're dependent on air we're dependent on our environment we're dependent on other people we're dependent beings and therefore this is just a the reminder of that fact right that we need god and we're dependent on him all the time yeah But well, when we focus it, on him, it's it's like even just in the prayer itself, right? If we focus on him, like you say, then our our the outcome is 
is what is good for us because even in the prayer when he asks you know says give us this day our daily bread it's not asking for to you know the next day the day after that months down the line it's just the daily provision right it's a contentment it's not searching for more where we're surrounded by greed all the time forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors right it's acknowledgement of the fact that that we do sin and we we need forgiveness and the only one who can remove that guilt and and that from us is is god himself and thus we also then are ha- to have a, a forgiving attitude towards others to show mercy just as our father shows mercy well i had an interesting question on that um <clears throat> cuz i'm looking at looking at matthew and then you go to verse uh, 14 which is after the prayer and right after the prayer and he says for if you forgive men for their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you verse 15 but if you do not forgive men then your father will not forgive your trespasses or, tr- or transgressions what exactly does that verse mean imply exactly because what it seems to me is <laughs> you're gonna jump way down there <laughs> well listen because we're because we, you sit on well because we we sit on this we said uh, the reason the only reason i jumped down there is because we were sitting on uh forgive us our debts as we also forgive other our, our debtors yeah which maybe maybe we can get down to that you know if there's some other groundwork to be laid that i'm not saying but if we were talking about that one, that those two verses seem to go hand in hand with that one. Um, but is there? Do you would you like to set other foundation before we get there? No, other than you know thinking about that statement of our Father, right? It, there's this the reminder that as we go down through this, you know, even though all of this stuff is in private, right? But notice what he says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts mm. as we for, have forgiven our debtors, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't even notice the us in that. That there's this constant reminder even through the prayer, although you know we pray in private and so on, it's this constant acknowledgement of the fact of there's an interaction between our lives and the lives of others. And that the, this prayer, it shows that this, even in the moment of need, even the moment of, of ask of, of request, it is request for all of us. It's not yeah. request for just me. Yeah. It is not, it isn't that, yeah, give me an abundance. It is, it is give me what I need to, and, and, and the night, the interesting thing too is, Give us what we need. Um, but if you look at, you know, if it, those verses follow verse 10, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So it's like if we're at a place where we have aligned ourselves properly, um, then our needs should in some way just be like, give us what we need to do what you want. Yeah. Not just give us this thing that it seems like this is what I need. Oh, my circumstances, I need that. It seems like this is what I need right now, so please give this to me. It should be, no, no, give me what I need to do the things that you want for me. and get Or give us what we need to do the things that you want us to do. 
which is again like if that is the way that you're praying prayer will always be answered positively yes i will do that every single time every single time if you're like well my need is this my car has a flat tire i need a new tire and it's like well, okay maybe that's what you think you need right now but maybe it isn't what you need maybe there is yeah. something something else you know it's hard to say because i'm not that's a hypothetical situation but it's like he will provide the needs to to have the greatest good accomplished and it might not always look the way we think it does. We're like, well, I clearly my life circumstances leave me needing this thing, so this is what I should be praying for. And it's like, well, no, I should just pray that he will provide all that I need to do what is most important and what he wants to see done. And, and you think like, about, right, then that, that keeps us from being, you know, like spiritual hoarders or even, you know, material hoarders in the sense that you know the things that we receive from god aren't just about us no right they're not just about us i mean you know so we we seek for forgiveness but are we forgiving people we looked for mercy but are we merciful people Sometimes it's interesting. I give you this this example. So these two guys, they they sinned in their marriages, and it was interesting to me because both the wives responded this way, godly women, but not excusing what the husbands did or anything. But the the fact that they responded with, you know, we had to step back and we realized we're sinners as well, and we are needing of God's forgiveness and so on. And it's like they could have easily gone to justifying themselves and I would have never done such a thing and I've never done such a thing. And and it just, it shocked me because they were so like, you know, realizing that they themselves were sinners as well when, when someone does something that terrible in a relationship, especially one that close, could have just you know land blasted these guys and and whatever but you know that that would be a part of their response was right but Mm -hmm. that doesn't it it makes you think when you come to this last part of the prayer here and dealing with the issue of forgiveness and that right is that we we look to these benefits from God, but like I mean, are we reflective? If, I mean, Jesus was going to talk about that. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful, right? To your enemies, to those who hate you, right? He provides for those who don't even thank Him and despise Him, and yet He still provides for them and shows the mercy, right? Has compassion on them. But we're we're begged to ask the question. But do we do this? F- you know, in regards to ourselves. Because I think also, too, it's like, you know, knowing knowing how sinful we are and how deserving of, uh, you know, God's judgment and how undeserving we are of forgiveness, right, should really change how we respond to other people when they sin against us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about like when when you come to God and you say, "Okay, well, I'm," you know, you do all these horrible, sinful things, and you go to God and you you 
you know, repent and he promises forgiveness for those who do, right? First John 1 9. But then someone comes to you after they've sinned against you and they ask for forgiveness and you're angry and you hold it against them and you right and make I'm gonna make you jump through all these hoops first and do this and that and whatever else. And it's kind of like you know it's like holding back on <laughs> Well, I mean, that's Christ tells the parable of that, you know, the, yeah. the the king who forgives the guy his his unbelievable debt and a debt that he was never going to pay off and then and frees him. And then he goes about his way and someone else comes up to him who owes him a debt and is like, hey, sorry, I can't pay. And is like, you know what? Like, I'm going to put you in jail. Like, we're going to until you pay me every last penny has no mercy on the man. And the king hears about this and, and is like, all right. Well, I'm locking you up now because how dare you, after I forgave you for your in unbelievable debts, have no mercy or kindness on the next person and, and hold them in a, to a standard that you were not held to. Which, you know, then I guess leads me to the, back to the question, if, if we can go to 14, 15 real fast. Does that mean that that if your if your transgressions will not be forgiven if you do not also forgive, then if you do not forgive if you're not someone who forgives, that is like a, a forfeit of forgiveness for your sin salvation, basically. No, because there's too many passages that speak against that. But here's what's interesting. I, this is from First Peter chapter three. Okay, this is verse seven. First Peter three seven. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Right, talking about her. You know. Uh. I often say it's like treating treating your wife like a china doll. Um, And it says, And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, okay, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Mm. Mm. So are you saying then that so I'm not, not I'm you won't it's not that you won't be forgiven in the sense that you now have forfeited your salvation for your actions but but no because we, when you look at say the issue of Christ dying for our sins the debt's been paid right debt's been paid we appropriate that though to our life daily in in confessing our sins and right and being forgiven by God right but okay. but the debt is done right it's an objective fact and it becomes subjective you know on an ongoing basis in our life so we appropriate that truth to our life we walk in light of what has been finished right and yeah. accomplished right so the finished work can't be undone, okay? In that passage, he's not dealing with one's, you know, ultimate salvation. There's no reference to that, right? Okay. But it would seem to be that he's dealing with everyday relationships that we have with people. So then if if 
how will God not forgiving our transition transgressions? How does what does that look like then in an everyday relationship? If it isn't just a general, okay, well then you're not forgiven for your sins. You will now carry the debt for what you've done because you don't forgive others. That is a question. It is a question. <laughs> it is indeed a question. Is it a question that you possibly have any answers to, or is this like one of those ones that we're just less scratching our heads? No, or? I, I think these are one of those. These are the, the kinds of passages that you need to come to and ponder on for a while. And I, even like for those who are listening, should take the time to think on them because they're meant to 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 bring things, and they do this. They bring everything to a screeching halt, right? Yeah. It's like we it's like Hebrews, right? Chapter 6. You have these warning passages in Hebrews. And we have other passages that come in the New Testament where we have these statements that cause us to stop, right? And and really have to think long and hard about. And everything within in Matthew 6, if we're looking at that prayer, right? Everything in that context is talking about a different kind of righteousness, right? Not something that's external and is not for show, right? But something that is real and genuine and it reflects a real genuine relationship that one has with God. And these are aspects of that. And so he's going to talk about things like turning the other cheek and so on and praying for your enemies. And all of these things are things that are contrary to. And when we read Sermon on Mount, I mean, there was a time in the church where they believed those truths have nothing to do for now. They believed that they were for the kingdom, and that's later. That's not now. And so there was a period where... That passage, right, Sermon on the Mount, wasn't even being preached on because it was for the kingdom, not for now. Mm. And and some of those truths, right, are so astounding f- for people. It's like even now they read them and go, well, God can't really mean that. Give to everyone who asks. Well, what about this and what about that and what about the other thing? So, uh, you know, could we answer a question rather quickly? Yes. And, and give an answer to this and move on. Yeah, so are you we saying could. That you, are you saying that you have you have an answer to this question that I'm asking? Yes, I have an answer to the question. Okay, okay. Well, if that's the case, then I'm willing to ponder it. If you're like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, it's one of those ones that no one really knows. Then that would be like, okay, well, that's kind of concerning because it seems it seems maybe on surface level possibly like you said contradictory to other passages that we've heard so there is an answer that isn't contradictory that if i if we take the time to sit with it we will figure that out yep okay well i know what i'm gonna be working on then I don't want to be focusing because that was but, one that immediately struck me because I was just like, oh, but again, it, but again, I mean, just keep in mind all the the reference to our, 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 all the way down through there, right? And then there is this interaction between whether or not we forgive others, right, and whether or not we'll receive forgiveness, right? It, there is this 
selfless focus that comes out of all of this. Okay, well, I want I'll say with that one, and if I, but if I can't think, figure it out, then we better promise that you can. T- you'll tell me eventually. <laughs> it's also good that you brought up that parable, right? Forgives the two debtors, right? Mm-hmm. And then the one goes off, and you know. <laughs> Tries yeah, to but doesn't extract. that but doesn't that doesn't that parable clearly show that the one was thrown, the one faced the full punishment, the full weight of his debt that was originally forgiven, but now is no longer going to be forgiven because he refused to forgive others. So wouldn't that imply that if we live a life where we for, refuse to forgive others? then we will then have to bear the full weight of the debt that has been forgiven us. It's possible, but one of the things you have to think about is each context in which those two things are given in. Mm. Right? Like, I don't really know the context of the other parables, well, so let's go, I'll take a look that that's up. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so if if we can know, it's like the same, like with you go with, you know, this passage here, we look at it and we realize there's a context, right? This is given during his Sermon on the Mount section, right? And it's included with all of those other aspects. So we realize that, right, that there's something going on here. We take Luke's and Luke's comes after the Sermon on the Mount and it is in a context dealing with kingdoms in conflict so one has to take in all of that in regards to their interpretation of does that mean that that christ taught this exact thing two two times like he said it once during the sermon of the mount and he also then maybe at a separate point taught his disciples when one of them had asked about it more particularly yeah it's possible doesn't it make you then stop and think, okay, so you ask from God for something that you yourself are not willing to give? Can you then even, are you even in the state of being able to receive that what you're asking for? Mm. You're not even, maybe you're not even capable of receiving forgiveness if you are at a place where you can't forgive. Maybe because to be at a place where you can't forgive is a place of such self-centeredness or something along those lines that you, why would you even ask? You wouldn't probably even ask for forgiveness or acknowledge that you need forgiveness if you're so self-concerned. If you're so focused on self that you can't forgive others. Well, you that look would at you. You look at that 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 incident where with the woman comes in and and weeps all over Jesus's feet, right? And one who is yeah. forgiven much loves much. Then you had others sitting around there, not even realizing just how sinful they were. They're busy oh, pointing yeah. at they're busy pointing at hers, and how sinful she was they couldn't even see how sinful they were they were too blind and so the man who invites <laughs> jesus to 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 dinner right he doesn't kiss him he doesn't jesus rebukes him you don't kiss me you don't no one wash my feet no one does this no one does that 
These are all things that normally one would do when you enter in a house as a guest. You didn't even do those things. This is starting to make this little verse here make a lot more sense now. <clears throat> so, I, I mean, in other words, we, we have a tendency with these kinds of verses to go to what we think is the obvious equation. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. means, right, this. Just take time and think about it because it may not necessarily be the equation we're thinking about. Interesting. And always and always working to interpret scripture in light of other scripture, you know, so Yep. It it must it's like, all right, well if it says this here, then it must not mean the opposite of that because it can't contradict itself. So there has to be it has to be he must be saying something else. So what's the drive of the context? Because obviously I mean he has it here, but it's not in Luke's version. <clears throat> <clears throat> what's the drive of this context yeah so it's like when you so if you look at the two different passages right and we talked about the fact that that matthew has aspects that that luke doesn't have luke simply has and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also for, uh, forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into <laughs> temptation and that's it there's no other reference to you know verses 14 and 15 there is any reference to that in Luke's account of it. So why is it there and why is it not here, right? I mean, that's... I think that... Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. Keep going. I'm too, I'm too eager to start spouting off. Um, <laughs> I Well, I, from the look of it is who he's talking to possibly could be... Because he's talking about concerning alms and prayer yep. is this section that he's speaking on. So he is speaking to the religious the religious Jews uh, you know people that claim to know God or or walk with God and are doing these practices that are a part of the they're giving money and they are praying it's not people that are new to this that don't know what they're doing people that have done this so maybe in that sense the reason why he said it there is because he is pointing out the possible blatant hypocrisy or or complete misunderstanding that these people are have these like religious people who believe that the fact that they are praying or the fact that they are saying these words or the fact that they are doing this thing that constitutes any sort of relation with God any sort of genuine asking for forgiveness or or genuine like there's a lack of there's a lack of genuineness to any of their actions. There's a lack of 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 true faith to any of their actions. It's all for Good. show. There it's all for performativeness. Good. So it's like, okay, well, if you are someone who is not willing to forgive others, then you don't actually think you need forgiveness clearly. Because if you understood your sin and understood that you need a savior and you need to be forgiven, and then you would freely hand that out to the next person so maybe their 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 you know whatever their sacrifices that they make to atone for their sins it's all just it's all just the ritualistic show it's what you do it's the thing to do and not so much of a genuine i am sorry i need forgiveness So in in which case then you would say does that person even really have a relationship with God? 
That's a great point. So they, maybe they never have salvation because they none they they don't they don't think they need salvation. That's good. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You kind of why you really baby step me through that. You watch me and the people through that one. I hope that the other people listening see. And you know what? I'm glad we did it this way a little bit more than just letting me be on my own because who knows how long that would have taken me. But you know, you help put the pieces together, and I and it, it's nice. I feel like I I feel like there's not enough of that where there's too many times where you know. I'll come across a verse and just get stumped and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's an answer. <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but maybe I'll find it. Maybe someone will tell me. Well, yeah. it's like first Timothy or like second Timothy chapter two. Paul tells Timothy, he says, you keep on pondering these things and the Lord will give you understanding. Right. Or Psalm 119, the psalmist gives him himself to sifting the scriptures and meditating on day and night right and throughout the day and on and on and yet at the same time constantly crying out for understanding god's going to give us these things when he decides to give them to us right in one sense but it also takes effort on our part and we need to to put the time in and sometimes that easy answer robs us of processing it because man when you can when you you go through that experience and then the lord you know gives you clarity on it you're like oh this is good i can you know makes you hungry for more yeah it does it does it makes you want to sit with it well that was i've really grown in in in, um like it does take more effort to sit with a passage, to sit with some verses, and like even this, like the other night, I was just sitting with this prayer, and I was just like, okay, let me really try to see what I can see, which isn't much, you know, but it was more than what I could see at the surface, you know. It's like if I had I just read through it, I would have caught some of the more obvious things, but to sit with it, to think over each line, really like oh okay oh man i saw this and like i wouldn't have seen this if i was just reading through three four five times but really really pondering over each thing and it's such a rewarding it gives you that that hunger i heard someone say that like to you don't the way to develop an appetite for scripture is just to feed yourself scripture yeah and it's like it's not like you're just gonna wake up one day hungry for the word. You're going to you build that appetite by feeding yourself on the word constantly, and then you you hunger for it more and more. And the more you have, the more you want more. And you know if you have none, you won't want any of it. It'll actually be repulsive to you probably. But the more you have, the more it's just you like oh I I need more of this. This is something I need more consistently, more constantly. Um, but then when people so yeah. when people ask you questions, it isn't like, so you don't have to keep saying, well, so-and-so says, you yeah. know, or this commentary, yeah. you know, said. And it's not that you can't use them or, or you yeah. know, get help. But when, when we do that, it's like sometimes it, it makes it harder. So then when people question, it's like we can't explain why we just tell them. This is what it means, but I don't know why it 
means this because I haven't really. Well, so it's like, because then you get in that situation where they ask you a question and you can give them the answer, but when they ask follow-up questions, you're like, well, I don't really know. Yeah. I don't really know that. I just know that that's the answer to the first question because that's what I was told the answer was. Yeah, for sure. Which I think can leave you so vulnerable to your faith just getting shaken. Yeah, that's true. And there's, I, I've that's even true. had moments, I've had moments even re- recently where some people posed some questions and I was just like, whoa, I don't think I've ever thought about that and I don't have an answer. And that's like scary to me right now because I don't know, does this call my faith into question? Does this, do I have to rethink about how I even look at this whole thing? Um, and it's because it's all, it's because it's like, oh, well, I've maybe taken this section of the Bible for granted and I've just kind of gone off what people have told me mm-hmm. and I haven't looked at it for myself. And because I haven't looked at it for myself, I don't know much to stand on except for the few answers that I can regurgitate because someone else said that's what the answer was, you know? Yep. And as soon as someone refutes that, I'm like, well, that sounds like a, a good argument against it, but how would I know? I don't know the actual text. I don't know. I've haven't spent time not just reading it, but meditating over it for myself. I'm just regurgitating the answer that someone else on YouTube said. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like Paul tells Timothy in second Timothy chapter three, he says, you however continue in the things you have learned to become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. It's like you you learn from others in that, but there are there, there is that aspect in which you right you've learned it you've you've processed these things you've shot, thought through them you've seen these things in other people's lives and you've weighed them and and looked at this and and you have these convictions right and that's what yeah. gives you that stability in the face of all kinds of fluctuating whatever and you know and I and that's like you say it can be shaking to your faith at times if people raise questions you know i mean in one sense you 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 those basic core things of the christian faith right i always cling to those cuz i say okay well i know this is this is real this is true and i believe this and if i find answers to other things in my life from the word of god then i can find answers to this thing and there is an answer to it you know but at least I know where to go to find it, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Well, I guess that leads me to my my next question. Okay. <laughs> my next section of lack of understanding, um, which is verse 13, with the end of the prayer. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Yep. Which I don't know what the little parentheses are for. Around for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Why do they put those in like little parentheses? Uh, I'd have to double check, but it could be that, you know, it's, at times when they do that, it's because there's a... Um, it says this clause omitted in yeah. the earliest MSS. Yeah, so the earliest manuscripts of, like, so they would be the the ones closer to the original writings. Didn't have that. Didn't have that. Yeah, 
so it was an insertion that came over time and so yeah that's what okay. I was thinking interesting um how how does God lead us into temptation can he not isn't it isn't it that God cannot um I mean, he doesn't say they don't tempt us. He's not saying God don't tempt well, us. We know that God doesn't tempt us to sin. James makes yeah. it very clear, right? And obviously, he doesn't want us to sin, so why would he do that, right? I mean, just look mm-hmm. at the rest of the context of the, the prayer, right? So what's he praying <laughs> yes. So what's he praying for? He's basically, in a rhetorical way, he's asking for protection from sin is basically what he's asking. Interesting. Okay. Right? So... Like, go to, uh, see if I can remember the psalm. Hang on. Come on. Psalm 19, David writes, right? Who can discern his errors? Equip me from hidden, uh, equip me from hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, right? So, there are things that, that, you know. I can do in, in 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 regards to sin, but there are some things I just can't see coming. Right? Mm-hmm. There are also times where you know I might be moved to you know sort of like this rebellious you know attitude and, and sort of defiance against God. So just praying that He would be kept from those kinds of things. Right. Oh, just like almost a prayer of just, you know, hey, yeah. So please give me the strength yeah. to be able to. So it's just, it's leaning on God. So like to New English translation renders verse 12 and 13 this way. Please do not punish me for sins I, I, I am unaware of and keep me from committing flagrant sins. Do not allow such sins to control me. Then I will be blameless, innocent, blameless. So it, it's acknowledging the fact that we need God's help in regards to to sin in our life. We need His leading and guidance in that. And so that's really all that. That's really all I that the, the prayer is for. It forced, just shows that. that it shows that we need just as much His help to be able to f- to avoid falling into sin. Yeah. It's not like God, please. Yesterday, you kept, you know, throwing me headfirst into sin, and into temp or into temptation. Can you please get me? You know, this time can we avoid it? It's just like, can you give me the strength? Lead me through this. Yeah. Lead me through the day. Lead me through the trials, and and help me to avoid temptation. And then we know from Corinthians, right, that He provides a way out all the time. Right. He's okay. He's always providing a way out for us. Yeah, so it's just looking to God's protective. You know, I, I have to say, I am going to, I'm going to amass as many questions as I possibly can about the Bible. <laughs> and um, I'm going to use this podcast to my own advantage. Because here's the thing. Listen, I love you to death, and you know, and I will love you till death, but that might not be that many years of love left. Not, not that I'm wishing any form of death on you. I mean, listen, you've earned it. You've earned the, the peaceful rest. But at the same time, I, you know, 
I need to get as many questions out as I can because once you're gone, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. YouTube only has so many answers. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I, and I'll look at it myself. You know, obviously, I want to look at it myself, but I need help. And so, this podcast for the next, <laughs> the next, the rest of the first hundred episodes is just going to be me trying to ask as many questions as I possibly can, and have you slowly answer them. And by answer them, I mean like hold my hand and kind of like you know, like a kid with a bike just getting off a training wheel. It's just going to guide me, so that by the end of it, I can feel. It, you know what it is? It's 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 like I it's like I faced temptation and I conquered it and I get to feel good. But like you were the one that was like shielding it off the entire time. You know, you didn't lead me through temptation. But here's the thing: you can you can do it without me. And you know that because even when you guys yeah, were kids and I would give you proverbs, that's two of the promises that come from proverbs. It will give you mental acumen. Right, and it'll give them moral skillfulness. It'll help your mind and ability to think and process. Right, to to s- discover what is the principle that lies behind the proverb. And you could always do it. So it's like it, it's well, listen, there. But I'm sure. But even then, listen, <laughs> even then, and and listen, I would love to. I would love to sit here and be like, yes, I do remember my days as a child when you'd give us a proverb to meditate over, and I spent the whole week thinking and dwelling on it, and I came with the right answer. What happened was is that I forgot every time, and I would remember, you know, when you said after dinner, hey, guys, Bible time, and I'd be like, oh, oh goodness, I didn't even, I wasn't even the reference, and I'd have to ask, Kayla, what was the reference he gave us last week? Oh, yeah, okay, that's what it was. And then, you know, and then you would just do exactly what you're doing right now and baby step walk me through the process, and you would just guide me, you, you know, it's like you're playing warmer or colder with me. So I gotta feel like I found it, but it's like, well, I, I was—you told me colder for half the room. I mean, I eventually—I had to get it eventually, you know. Yeah, so but you, you know, still I'm glad. Got those I'm sure yourself, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I picked up the Easter egg, but like, I wouldn't have found it if you didn't keep going. Try over there. Why don't we just look at that? Oh, look at you found it. You got it. You get the candy. At least you didn't give me like with shape. He <laughs> just restate the verse. The verse. <laughs> yeah, he was just restating the answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, it clearly just says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So you, you know, and you if you really dig deep into that, it's give you something. Knowledge. Knowledge begins at the fear of the Lord, and that's what it means. <laughs> I don't know if it could be more. I don't know if I could lay it out more simply than that. <laughs> you can't know anything until you fear God. Clearly, that's <laughs> it's right. It's right there in front of you. <laughs> I don't even know what we're asking questions for. <laughs> they, make, they make it pretty obvious. Come on, Dad. <laughs> Come on, Dad. Not that I'll be through this one. <laughs> Let me hold your hand. What it seems like to me though is that if you don't fear God, you know pretty little. I don't know if this is, yeah, this is pretty much about as clear as it gets. 
In reality, he was holding my hand. I didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, he, he was walking you through it. <laughs> he was just trying to get it over with quickly so we could move on to other things. Like, Duh, Dad, it says it right here. I don't know if you I don't know, Dad, if you've picked up on reading yet, but uh it's pretty black and white. Yeah, that's what happens when you drop out of high school. <laughs> you lose that on those skills. <laughs> You miss on that comprehension. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, boy, does that paint me in a bad light. <laughs> Shane is having to walk you through so you can walk me through. I really feel I really feel dumb. Clearly, I don't fear the Lord at all because I have no knowledge, no wisdom, <laughs> nothing to offer. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I think oh, I should be quaking in my boots. <laughs> I think we should probably stop right here. <laughs> I call it. I mean, I think that's. I think that's good. I think that's a good place to to, to jump off, to jump <laughs> jump ship. Um, oh, man. I hope you guys feel good about yourselves. I hope you guys feel like you know. Ignore the hands that you're holding <laughs> to walk you up to the answer. Ignore it. I'm going to ignore I'm going to choose to ignore it and feel like I did that all by myself. But it is, you know, it is very, it's very, uh, I think, like, it isn't, it is important. You are someone who's always been like, listen, go think about it. I'm not going to give you the answer. You've done that my whole life, and I think it's super key for many reasons. But to be able to walk someone through that, it's almost like, when people, when someone brings you an issue and brings you a problem in their life, so one of the best things you could do is just keep asking them questions. Even if you know the answer, just ask them questions. Allow them to walk themselves through the problem and get to the solution. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe they feel too, bo- it feels so overwhelming that they don't even know where to start. And it is a simple question that they're not asking themselves. And I think a lot of people, too, they get overwhelmed with, with when it comes to studying. I know I do. And it's like, okay, I I just need to ask the right questions. And I feel too unsure of where to even begin. Um, but when you see it played out like that, like it's it wasn't that difficult, you know? Yeah. Just to look, we're looking at two different paths. Like, okay, well, why is it the first thing? Why does he say that here and not at the end of Luke? It's not arbitrary. Yeah. Why is it that way here and not that way there? Does it mean this? Well, okay, does other passages contradict that? Yeah, they do. So it can't mean that. It has to mean something else. Why? What else could it mean? What else is the context? Who is he talking to? Why would he say that? Is there a deeper truth? And, like, that process is the thing that I think I definitely need more practice on. And that's more valuable i mean it's like you know give a man a fish he can eat for a day teach a man a fish you know he'll eat for a lifetime whatever yeah or he'll eat as long as you know the fish are around <laughs> yeah um <laughs> until the fish come too smart to start biting hooks yeah. you know what i mean uh, fish clearly don't fear the lord otherwise they would not be so dumb to you know bite the hook every time every time but um but it's like it that is so uh that's such a key skill that's worth learning. It's worth, and I think that's where, like, you know, just go to Proverbs. Just just read through. There's plenty of verses of Proverbs you're going to come across and be like, wow, ooh, I don't, 
I don't know what that means. And in nine times out of ten, typically I would have just breezed to the next verse and been like, yeah, it means something. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it is something. Yeah. You know, and that's not for me. That's not my job to have to decipher that. And it's like, well, that's some of the, the, the most important. Even if that verse isn't even the most applicable to you personally, the skill of being able to sit down and, and walk through the steps and ask the questions and stuff is. Yeah. The, I mean, the most important part when it comes to studying studying scripture. So, Well, and it's like I was covering a passage in the Psalms uh, before Thanksgiving, and it talks about the fact that he will judge his people and he will compa- have compassion on his servants. And so you might think, okay, judge them means something harsh, right, on his people. But then the second line talks about compassion. But if you look at the beginning of the second line, it starts with and, not but. In other words, there if if there was intended to be a contrast between two different ways in which God deals with his people, i.e. Mm-hmm. his quote-unquote people, and then those who are truly servants of his, then there would have been a, a contrastive word used there yeah. to show that. But the fact that this linked together, it helps you see that there's a parallelism right there, and it's synonymous. And so the point of mm-hmm. the judge your people, it's in reference to vindication, that your judgment will be for your people. Mm. And so being able just even to look at the lines around something that we see, oftentimes the questions can be answered rather quickly it just you know just stop and ask <clears throat> but well, but we don't we're not we're not trained to to like read scripture like and make observations thinking as we read right and and being attentive that way and and it's kind of unfortunate because when you like when you know types of literature and structure and things that they use right devices so i gave someone a, a book by um oh what was his name i think it was uh, mauser he did a book a thin paper book on um proverbs understanding proverbs he just talked about different structures real simple and as I told this individual about it, they went and started reading through Proverbs. And it was like it changed everything for them. They're like, man, now I can see like, you know, these different ways in which these things are are worded, and therefore it sort of leads me to where the to what the meaning is. But when you don't yeah. know those things and you don't know what to look for, you know, and they're just words on a page to people, and it's like. Well, and that's and that that's the thing you have to. Are you reading scripture in the light of it being truly the inspired word of God? Yeah. Because if you believe that that is truly what it is, then every single detail matters. He did. It's not arbitrarily said a certain way. Okay. You know, you might come across even something that seems commonplace, and it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Why he would just say that? It's like, no, but why? Why? those words why in that particular order even in the prayer it's like okay well why in this particular order do we go from our father in heaven hallowed by that name kingdom come will be done then why the why this order why this arrangement there must be assume there is a reason with everything and that is the first starting point to really seeing the deeper meaning because if you just glaze over it with just a yeah sure that's just what they said and then you know it just happens to be the way they jotted it down and it's like okay well that's going to be so easy to just blow past 
the honestly the the because that's always what it's been that's always what Christ's teaching has always been it's been parables it's like listen you might get a surface level takeaway and be like oh yeah I guess I can kind of see what you're saying yeah but it's for those who care enough about it to think about it because if you do if you care enough to think about it then then you're you're going to be rewarded you're going to be rewarded even more it's interesting because I had a conversation with someone recently and and someone had taken a section out of um, Luke 15 and was using it in, in an incorrect way to, and, and it was and they were accusing someone of something and so on and so but I said it, it, that's not possible if you look at the context and so I just walked through the context the overall context Luke 15 what was the message of chapter 15 Luke's gospel and when I did that, they're like, I didn't even know that. And obviously, this can't mean that then. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. You know, but it's like if you can pull things out of a context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say, right? You can manipulate mm-hmm. it. But that's also the thing, too, is to realize then that every word, as God gave it, is the words that he wants us to have. And therefore, the most literal translation is the better one because it's going to force you to wrestle with the words that God chose to use to communicate these things where other quote unquote translations, most of them are interpretive then and that someone else's interpretation of the passage. So they did the legwork and they think they know what it means. And therefore when they render it, they're basically giving their interpretation of it rather than just trying to convey the literal words that are there and leave it for you to figure out an example Mm -hmm. right apostle of jesus christ well you can render it apostle belonging to jesus christ because the genitive case it can mean that you belong to him or it can be apostles sent by jesus christ right literal translation would just say apostle of jesus christ and it's left for you to figure out what kind of genitive it is objective subjective Mm -hmm. possessive whatever right but oftentimes what people pick up as a translation is is really an interpretation and they've drawn the conclusion for you and that's that's unfortunate because again you're taking someone else's word for it on that and i would think you'd rather you know if your condition yeah. of your soul is eternal you'd want to be sure I would about not just take someone else's word yeah. for it yeah <clears throat> Well, guys, don't take our word for it. Either. You know, I mean, listen, there's the some text. word to be taken. Yeah, if someone's the word to be taken, it is Shane's. Baby. <laughs> um, but secondary would be my father's. Thirdly, possibly me. But even then, I don't know about that. Um, but uh, you know what, guys? Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. And I would like to say, you know, as God has forgiven you, I pray that you guys will also forgive us for taking this long to actually get around the Lord's Prayer after we promised it weeks ago. Yeah. You know, and if you're not willing to forgive us, you might not be saved, you know, and that's all I'm saying. So uh, enjoy your next week. Mull these things over. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll touch back on these topics again in next week's episode. And, uh, you know, in the meantime... Um, May God help us. Life is tough. May God help us. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Amen. <laughs>